Hey everyone, before we get to the podcast, we're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. It's from Blue Wire Studios and it's called Golden Goal, Stories of Soccer Legends. Every Monday, two new episodes will take a look at some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. It's all narrated by Brandon Kelly, who's the host of Blue Wire's Always Cheating podcast. From Holland to Zlatan to Messi to Rapino and many more, each episode is going to focus on historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and check out Golden Goal, Stories of Soccer Legends, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the July 10th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. Today, we're talking to Patrick Darty, NFL writer for Roto World and NBC Sports. Folks, he's certainly one of the best fantasy analysts. He has great insight into the players and teams, but he is quite possibly the most quick-witted and smartest guy in the business. He has that robust analysis combined with the thought-provoking tweets that provide the content always with a ton of laughs. Great to have him on, of course. Premier Twitter follow at RotoPat. Pat, it's an honor to have you back on again. Welcome back, my friend. What's up? And uh, thank you for reading the intro I wrote for you uh, about me. Uh, I didn't know if you'd read it word for word, but I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, Way, 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 way too kind. But uh, I do. I accept all compliments. So, you know, I'm just going to accept every one of those as fact. Well, we should just both quit our jobs and go work for Patrick Mahomes. Because basically (laughs) what I want to start with is Patrick Mahomes signed for 3,000 years and a billion billion dollars in Kansas City. So what do you do, Pat? You get a 10-year, $500 million contract. What would you do with that money? The first thing you got to do, I guess, is like you got to get like your pool a pool. Yes. Like just having like a pool is no longer – I don't maybe get yourself some like legal tigers. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the exotic animals. I live in the same state as Pat Mahomes, unless he lives on the Kansas side. Uh, he probably doesn't. He probably lives on the Missouri side. Uh, not sure where like our big game laws are, but he probably needs some legal exotic animals. And uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, pretty rare for a football player to be. You know, these are usually the baseball players, the NBA players. You know, very good for a football player to kind of like strike out in like that A-Rod, like Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo territory on the money front. Um, yep. Long overdue for like, uh, I mean, it's kind of amazing when you think about it, like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady never had a deal like this. So uh, big congrats to uh, definitely the most electrifying player we have going right now. Yep. Came in, throws the ball well, dynamic, wins a Super Bowl. Check, 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 right? So he's all set to go. You're in the midst of doing your team previews, Pat, for Roto World. So much insight in them. I love them. Packed into each one. We're going to turn to Arizona for our FFPC stat attack of the show. Since arriving in Arizona for week nine of last season, Kenyon Drake ranked fourth in PPR fantasy points at the position. He trailed CMC, Derrick Henry, and Zeke Elliott. He was sixth in rushing yards, second with eight touchdowns, but he was 14th in the targets and receptions during that time and 22nd in receiving yardage. Now, this is a guy who's been an accomplished pass catching back with 53 receptions, 477 receiving yards, and five TDs in Miami back in 2018. 
2019. So how confident are you in Drake's role in 2020? And is Chase Edmonds more relevant in this passing attack than people realize? Yeah, I mean, that was like the weird incongruency of Kenyon Drake's uh, Cardinals season, wasn't it? Because after he arrived there, I mean, he averaged over five, almost five and a half yards per carry. Uh, had, I think he had... 20 10-yard gains I wrote in my article. That was tied uh, with Nick Chubb for the second most in the second half of the season. He was one of the most rugged, dynamic early down runners in the NFL after he arrived in Arizona. And, you know, someone who, you know, we knew can make big plays in the ground, but someone who we had already seen make a lot of big plays as a pass catcher. Yeah, it was very underwhelming, very inefficient as a pass catcher. And it, you do, it, it does kind of make you wonder, you know, if that's left the opening Chase Edmonds knee to kind of get a more consistent role in the offense. But like I, like I just said, I mean, we know that Kenyon Drake can make those big plays as a pass catcher. Like it really is one of his calling cards and probably just chalk that up as a fluke. Don't we, uh, you know, this that he was so inefficient as a pass catcher. And I think, you know, he definitely has the lead on early downs. I think he'll still be the primary third down back. I do think Chase Edmonds, you know, an offense that wants to run a lot of plays. Uh, he you know, was on the record as wanting to have two or three viable backs. I mean, Chase Edmonds will get weekly snaps, but I'm I, I've thought about this. But yeah, I'm I, at the end of the day, I'm not worried about Kenny Drake as a pass catcher, and I, I think that that role will be there for him, which you know, which would be very critical, obviously, to his RB one uh, status. Uh, like if he doesn't have that, probably more of an RB two, but I think it will be there. Yeah, and he was so productive. I, I feel like he's landed in the perfect fantasy situation. And listen, with the way running back is right now, even if he just gets a few targets a game with the rushing yardage in the goal line, I, I think he's going to be fine. And folks, that was our FFPC stat attack of the show. Remember, FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry. They have Dynasty Best Bowl and, of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. You want to learn more or join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. Of course, we have a ton of tools here at Rotoviz designed specifically for that FFPC domination. I'm still doing best ball leagues. Pat, I have issues with best ball. I can't stop. So I'm still <laughs> doing them. I'm using the command center. You log in. You can track to see whether your player is going to be available in two picks or not. So folks, enjoy it there. FFPC, go to it. Huge fan of the, of the site and the tools we have here at, at Rotoviz. I want to stay with the running backs, Pat, because I feel like the fantasy world changed way back when, when Zeke Elliott was selected fourth in 2016. He was the RB2 that year. The immediate impact of the rookie RB, at least for the first half of the year, though, I think is still subjective. So 2017, we had Fournette. He ended up going fourth. He was the RB8 at the end of the year. McCaffrey was the RB15 at the end of the year. Dalvin Cook got injured. Joe Mixon was RB32. So it's sort of up and down. Now, Saquon was great in 2018. Rashad Penny was bad. Sony Michelle went in the first round. He was RB25. Nick Chubb was good, but he wasn't great in the first half. So what I want to do is just name a couple teams here and sort of get your thoughts on how those backfields are going to go with the rookies and the veterans battling back and forth. Uh, we're going to start with Detroit here. Carry I, I, I on Johnson's ADP is dropping like a ton of bricks, but are we absolutely sure that DeAndre Swift is going to get those carries right away? What do you think of Detroit? Yeah, I mean, we're not. And I was kind of bummed about the landing spot for DeAndre Swift because he was probably my favorite running back in the draft class this year. And But with the Lions, you know, their mode of thinking right now has got to be we got to have a two-man backfield because they weren't sure about on Johnson's health, like if he could stay healthy heading into last season. And then he didn't again. He got hurt again. And 
I, you get the feeling they're probably in like full on two back mode. And, you know, especially this is a point I might make a few times in the podcast. So I hope I don't start repeating myself a million times, but in this like coronavirus off season, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we can overrate off season practice reps sometime, but I mean, it's certainly not good for none of these guys to be getting zero off season practice reps, you know, and all this coming in flying blind from an off season where there weren't any workouts, you know, you're never gathered in person. And then even a training camp, you know, that's going to probably be structured way differently, probably zero preseason games. And that's not official. Uh, it just could be a really tough year for rookies in general. And someone like Deandre Swift, you know, how's he going to get up to speed and like pass protection. And uh, I just, this, the lions in particular, I love Deandre Swift. I mean, clearly he's going to get like legitimate run this year, but my guess would be that the Lions are kind of in two-back mode. Keep these guys upright. Keep them healthy. Don't overload either one of them. And, yeah, I, I'm kind of – if I'm picking one, I am picking DeAndre Swift. But, yeah, we, we, you can't truly avoid situations. But, like, when I cannot take a Lions running back, I am not taking a Lions running back. Yep, and the one that bothers me. Now, this one, it's a pick I made last year at the end of round two. And as soon as I made it, I had regret. I took Damian Williams last year at the end of round two. (laughs) And it still haunts me because it didn't feel great when I did it. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, last pick in the first round of the draft, Chiefs take him. But the question is, if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be in the green zone, he's not going to be in the red zone, and they go to Williams – I can argue that getting a piece of the Chiefs offense later in the draft is more valuable with Williams than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But am I a fool for maybe having concern about a first-round running back? That's a lot of draft capital there for Andy Reid to spend on him. It is and the only first-round running back this year, right? I mean, yep. uh, pretty sure my brain hasn't been to- totally COVID-mushed. Uh, and I can remember things like that. Um, but, uh, I mean... The thing with CEH is uh, we know he's a special pass-catching prospect, but is he truly going to be ready to be the lead early down back? And, you know, we just don't know that. I, I wouldn't, even in a normal offseason, I'd be questioning that. And this, again, especially now when he will have had nothing really to get up to speed before July 28th, I just don't know if he'll be ready, if they'll be ready to just insert him as like, you know, their clear cut uh, every down, early down back. And I am very worried about that. And I, I was a Damian Williams fader last year, but I think you're on to something where if I could pick one of the Chiefs running backs, I would much rather have Damian Williams basically for free late because not only do I think maybe – he'll get a pretty decent amount of run on early downs early in the season. I mean, we know CEH is a special pass catcher, but I mean, that's Damian Williams is calling card too. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I'm totally on board with that approach that she's back. I love, uh, Edwards Hilaire as a prospect, but yeah, it's just, it's a tough situation for him. I feel like, and just something that was already his biggest question mark, he, you know, not getting to address it before just getting thrown into the fire on July 28th. I think it might be tough for him to come out, and just expect, you know, 12 to 15 weekly carries. I mean, maybe 12 to 15 is realistic, but definitely not 15 to 20. Yeah, and that's the key. So it's always important to get off to a great start. And if Carrion Johnson and Damian Williams continue to see their ADPs drop as we get towards seasonal leagues, you could get them with little risk and end up winning the first couple of weeks and really put some pressure on them. And like you said, if, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, short training camp, preseason, the whole thing, uh, Damian Williams could be doing those wheel routes, Pat, for the entire second <laughs> half of the year, and, and people will be thrilled. 
The one that I'm confused on is the Rams. I mean, I'd like to thank GM Les Snead for coming out and praising each one of his three running backs for us to just really (laughs) keep things confusing. We have Malcolm Brown, Daryl Henderson, and of course, Cam Akers. He talked about Cam Akers succeeding in Florida State despite a poor offensive line. Said Malcolm Brown is very special near the goal line, and Daryl Henderson has big playability. So thank you very much. That gave us nothing. So Patrick (laughs) Darty is going to solve the Rubik's Cube. Tell us what to do with the Rams backfield. Yeah, I mean... This one is, we're just, uh, I wish I had something clever, some sort of clever insight here, but we are just truly flying blind here. Um, you know, I guess, you know, a tell would clearly be, so the Rams, you know, they move on from Todd Gurley. Um, and then the, the fact that they still use a second round pick on Cam Akers, like they already knew what they had in Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown. So you, you could have viewed Todd Gurley's, re- I'm getting too wordy here. You could have viewed Todd Gurley's release as, oh, we have confidence in Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown. Instead, knowing what they had in them, they still use their first pick on a running back. And clearly that speaks volumes. And, you know, Cam, there's a lot of Cam questioners out there. I I had no real pre-draft opinion on Cam Akers. I still don't. Um, I just know that this is going to be very confusing and really – no one has any real idea how this is going to play out. And even if there were a preseason, the Rams are kind of one of the teams that have thrown in the towel in the preseason. They don't really tip their hand in the preseason anyway. Right. But, yeah, I mean, we are going to be really parsing quotes, I feel like, in August from Sean McVay to try to get any insight into this whatsoever. And, again, you don't really have the luxury of just saying, I'm going to avoid this situation. But the Rams backfield, I'm just – you know, maybe I'm missing out on some upside by being afraid here, but – uh, I am. I can't think. I don't think I've drafted one of these running any of these running backs all off season. Always hard and always tricky to chase efficiency from the prior year. Mark Ingram did not have a ton of carries, but boy, was he efficient and productive. Here comes J.K. Dobbins. Ingram now on the wrong side of thirty. But the question is, you know, what do you think? Is is Dobbins going to take a bigger role as the year goes on, or is Ingram still going to be a solid back end RB two for us? It's, I mean, Mark Ingram, he just he does this every year now, doesn't he? He somehow he's kind of you know early in his career almost overrated because he was hurt a lot, but now he's become almost underrated as like a metronome guy who averages like five yards per carry. Um, I, if I have to draft one, I'm drafting Mark Ingram. I still think he's going to begin the season as the clear early down back. Um, J.K. Dobbins, obviously, I like as a prospect. I mean, monstrous upside in this offense, but I mean, his threats on all three. F- his threats on early downs, of course, to Mark Ingram. Uh, threats in the red zone from not only Mark Ingram, but Lamar Jackson. True. And then even on, if you're hoping he carves out a role in third downs, I mean, they have Justice Hill, who they've been talking up again this offseason. And it's just so many variables with J.K. Dobbins. You know, again, another one of these rookies that isn't going to have any live reps until early August, basically. And um, it's another – if I'm picking – I I will – Mark Ingram, I'm okay with is like a kind of a high floor flex. Obviously, not much of a ceiling these days, but I'm comfortable with Mark Ingram as a flex this summer. And J.K. Dobbins, I would love to have as like an upside stash on my bench, but the ADP just doesn't usually allow that. And I'm coming away with very little uh, J.K. Dobbins in best ball or mock drafts uh, this summer. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our good friends at Bet Online. Now, sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And listen, there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight, or check out the odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back. Bet Online has futures odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. 
or you can check out the daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That promo code, don't forget it, BLUEWIRE, to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. I'm Dave Cabin, host of the RotoViz Fantasy Football Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for supporting RotoViz Radio. We love producing these shows and we hope that you love listening to them. As a thank you, loyal podcast listeners can get 10% off of a one year RotoViz subscription by using the promo code 2020RV Radio at checkout. We have some of the very best tools, articles, and analysts in the business and can't wait to lead you on the path to greatness. If you haven't done so yet, do us a favor and take a minute to rate and review this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Now let's get into the show. And the last one, of course, is Washington. And there are backfields that are often ignored, but in seasonal and redraft leagues, we have to take stock in them. Darius Geis, you know, he popped for a couple games. He always seems to produce when he stays on the field, but that's the big question. They did take Antonio Gibson. Now, right now in FFPC, Geis is RB32. That's a value, but Antonio Gibson is RB52. He's converted from wide receiver, but he is six feet, 228 pounds from Memphis, 439 speed. He can catch the ball, of course. Geis, Gibson, what's your poison here in Washington? You know, Gibson, uh, talk about kind of like a COVID all-star there, whereas like, Rookie year is always very tough for like offensive weapon types. And I just feel like it's going to be even tougher when you're like an offensive weapon. And again, for the 19th time this podcast, me saying that like not having any of that off the usual offseason activities is going to be, I feel like especially difficult for someone like Antonio Gibson or Lynn Bowden, kind of like a tweener who, without like a true established position so far. And the, the road to upside is very evident with Gibson, but I just wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he's the kind of person who could be a healthy scratch in week one. I just think right. it's going to be a long road for him to carving out a role. Maybe not maybe not necessarily a role, but a role that will have any translation to fantasy value. And I kind of like Darius Geis as like the RB30. He's in like that RB30 to kind of like 36 range. Um, and, uh, you know, he showed he con- reconfirmed his big playability last year. We know the durability, uh, a huge issue, but you know, rebuilding year for the Redskins. I think they're still going to, I think Darius Geis is going to get like a legit opportunity, like one final real opportunity to show what he can do. And Antonio Gibson, they just, they don't need, they're not contending. They don't need to force the issue with Antonio Gibson. And I just think, uh, he could be more of a second half factor. Like someone wants bye weeks are rolling in. Maybe that's the time of year where Antonio Gibson will be, uh, finally carving out a role, but someone, to me, in September, will probably just be a wasted roster spot in redraft leagues. And notice we didn't mention Adrian Peterson. I can't. I'm at max capacity. <laughs> he's, just, he's undead zombie. I mean, clearly <laughs> he's just going to end up like entering October with like 80 carries and everyone will just be sad. But uh, yeah. <laughs> the t- touchdown vulturing everybody. I'm going to make a point. Way. A point I made on another podcast. I uh, can't remember where. Uh, so sorry again if I'm repeating myself. But like Frank Gore gets all the old back accolades. But I mean, Adrian Peterson's kind of been like the better old back the past three or four years. Uh, like Frank Gore seems to be almost like purely like a leadership thing at this point where Adrian Peterson can still any week maybe pop off for like 150. He's not going to do that most of the time, but 
Adrian Peterson's still extremely impressive, like a 34, 35-year-old running back. That's because Adrian Peterson was too good. Former MVP, <laughs> right? Like you, you, to, to get the old man moniker, you have to just hang around for a while. Right? It's true. Yeah, that's true. You did a fantastic article rating the NFL coaches 1-32 to 32 for Roto World. You put it out there, man. I loved it. Just wanted to get your thoughts here on some of the sort of polarizing coaches in the NFL. First one is in Pittsburgh. You know, I feel like the Pittsburgh fans are never happy here. They're not happy with Mike Tomlin, but you had him pretty high there, and the guy has had success and, and, and has really come up with some nice schemes against Cleveland, I read in the article. So talk about Mike Tomlin here, and, and why is there a disconnect between reality and sort of what the perception is? Well, the disconnect with Tomlin, I feel like, has to be like the things that are quote-unquote easy to measure for a head coach like aren't his things. Like He's not calling plays on either side of the ball, even though he's quite capable of calling plays on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, he's not amazing at game management, obviously, as we know, with his timeouts and his challenges. And, like, he's not – he's kind of like Andy Reid, where he's not like an amazing game management coach. And when you're not great at game management and when you don't call plays – it can kind of be easy for people, I feel like, to question you or, like, not understand what your value is. Yep. But, I mean, Mike Tomlin's value, of course, was, like, clearer than ever last year when, you know, they're 8-5 and five with – you didn't – they basically did not have a quarterback. And, you know, they finally ran out of gas the final three games of the season, but they went 8-8. Eight and eight. Like, four or five of their losses were to teams that went deep in the playoffs, and they were all by, like, one score. And they, like I said in the article, uh, the players talking about last year, I think it was week 13, how he just throw, threw out the game plan at halftime, literally on the, the blackboard, comes up with a new game plan against the Browns for the second half, and they win the game. And, you know, think about, I mean, all these, so, you know, Antonio Brown, you know, the story of last offseason, just going nuclear the entire offseason. And think of how little – until like the very end, you heard about Antonio Brown and drama in Pittsburgh and the, the job Mike Tomlin must have been doing to kind of keep that locker room in harmony. And yeah, I just think the disconnect to Tomlin is the things he's are, are really good at are not the things that fans can easily measure. Um, you could always say, I say this in the article, you can always say Mike Tomlin should probably have more playoff victories, but that's basically true of every single coach who's not Bill Belichick. You know, yep. how many times does Andy Reid come up short in the playoffs? How many times does Sean Payton come up short in the playoffs? It's just being a coach in the NFL. And he's clearly uh, one of the most underrated coaches probably in NFL history and one of the best coaches in the NFL right now. Next one I want to pivot to is Mike Zimmer with the Vikings. Uh, Stone Age, three yards, cloud of dust, all that stuff. But defensive-oriented, does a great job there. Minnesota, not an easy place. It's not like Kirk Cousins is Peyton Manning, okay? So really has been able to build a system and, and is getting a lot out of the Vikings. But maybe it's the age, maybe it's the style. Also another guy I think who, who's a little underrated nationally. He definitely is, you know, and it's easy, especially, you know, underrated on football Twitter because, I mean, he has a lot of caveman football comments. But the two things that Mike Zimmer does, uh, so yeah, if you're a head coach, I mean, the first thing you need to do is take care of your side of the ball. You know, unless you're like a special talent like John Harbaugh or Mike Tomlin, like if you're working on your side of the ball, like uh, you need to take care of your side of the ball. And Mike Zimmer does a phenomenal job with the Vikings defense. And then, you know, you need to have the, the side of the ball you're not responsible for. You need to have the right lieutenants there. And Mike Zimmer has done that. You know, he's got his offensive coordinator, a head coaching job this offseason. And then he replaces him with one of the best offensive coaches of the past 20 years in Gary Kubiak. And then, you know, he's, he's finally like achieved equilibrium with Kirk Cousins and, you know, it was a really good, uh, really good knows how to use Dalvin cook. And so, 
Mike Zimmer handles his side of the ball, and he has the right lieutenants in place on the other side of the ball. And yeah, I agree, Mike Zimmer is an underrated coach. The last one is is just a team that I'm struggling to handicap here. It feels too easy. Bruce Arians, high-octane offense, throw the ball, future Hall of Fame, greatest quarterback ever, Tom Brady coming in. Rob Gronkowski signs, great wide receivers, Evans deep, Godwin short. It just seems like it's too easy, and you touched on it a little bit in terms of Arians maybe going in and out in terms of managing too much or not managing enough. How do you think he's going to do this year? And is he settling into that CEO role that maybe he's better at than, you know, doing too much there? And this is a big year. You don't sign Tom Brady, like you said, if you're looking to go seven and nine. So there's a lot on the line this year in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I just, you kind of hit on a lot of the key points there. I thought Bruce Arians was kind of oddly like disengaged last season, kind of like, kind of like he was like running on fumes, like maybe should not have taken the job. And, as I say in the article, maybe more interested in getting his coordinators head coaching jobs. You know, he mm-hmm. loves Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles and almost kind of like he was coming back to kind of pass the torch to the next generation. And he, yeah, Bruce Arians, you know, kind of a micromanager for most of his time in Arizona and just, yeah, seemed more like Mac Brown CEO last year. And I just wondered how much his heart was really in it. And, uh, but, you know, if your heart's not in it, you're probably not signing Tom Brady. And uh, I think that has probably relit his fire. And maybe, you know, if he is becoming more of a CEO, I mean, who would you rather delegate duties to uh, on your side of the ball than Tom Brady? Yep. So maybe even if he doesn't want to like get super reengaged like that, like he was in Arizona, um, he he's finding the right lieutenant, basically. And yet this will be a... You, know, you don't need me to come on your podcast and say the Bucks will be a fascinating team this year. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be extremely fascinating and probably a battery recharger for Bruce Arians. Well, we're hoping that the NFL season recharges our sports batteries. You and I are clearly in the camp of team wear a damn mask. We yes. want the season to happen. We want to have 16 games. Whatever we have to do, I'll wrap myself in plastic. I don't care. I just want to have football, Pat. So I'm curious, how have you handled this so far? Are you going on vacation with the family in the summer? How's everything going here with quarantine? Thankfully, we snuck in one final vacation in like late February when I was I was already on virus high alert in like late January. And but we got to go to South Padre Island in Texas, like kind of one final pre COVID hurrah. Um, Yeah, it's been one of the biggest bummers for me about the virus is that I was probably getting to travel almost once a month before uh, I was getting to travel a lot for Roto world, going to Connecticut a lot. And I was enjoying it. I was short trips. So I wasn't away from the family too long. And just kind of a, someone I've worked from home, you know, basically my entire adult life. Um, I was like enjoying the travel. And so that's been sad. Yeah. I have not the, the most recent, I was supposed to go to Connecticut in early March and I canceled the trip. And let's just say I I was kind of feeling like Nostradamus after the fact that uh, yep. flying into New York in early March turned out not to be a great idea. Uh, no offense to you in the tri-state area there. None, ta- <laughs> none taken. I'm just trying, you know, it, the thing is the businesses have, some have been smart, some haven't, you know, they're, they're reinventing themselves. And we were like everyone else. You're trying to order food. You look at the website, you say, oh, it seems like they're taking a lot of precautions. You're marketing. It's like a, it's a marketing class one-on-one at this point, but no, I get it. And, and listen, whatever we have to do to have the NFL season, that that's certainly what we all want here. Yeah. And I'm, I'm on full travel lockdown. I've got a pregnant wife and just can't ah. quite, uh, yeah, it's not uh, definitely one of those things not worth the risk for our family. So we are homebound indefinitely. Definitely. Well, congratulations to that. Good luck. Thank you. My twentieth, my twentieth child. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're Nostradamus. So tell us, where's Antonio Brown going to sign? I mean, nowhere. I still, I mean, I have to be honest. I am surprised it's advanced as far as it has. Like, I didn't really think like Antonio Brown would be like getting like leaks at this point. Like, this team's interested in Antonio. Clearly, some teams are sending out some Antonio Brown trial balloons uh, through the media. But I mean, yeah. it seems like maybe the Seahawks are really his only uh, viable landing spot. And wherever he lands, though, he's probably going to serve like an eight or ten game suspension. Um, yeah. I just did not think Antonio Brown was going to get a third chance, um, but it's looking like he might. But I, my, if I had to put money on it, I would probably say Antonio Brown will not sign. But it has progressed to the point where I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so he's been leaked, you know, three or four different teams. But the Seahawks are kind of the only team that has not come out and like fully refuted it. Um, so they do seem to be his most uh, viable potential. Land. Sorry, you're hearing a Midwest thunderstorm in the background here too. Um, but yeah. Uh, my guess is nowhere but Seattle if he does sign. Well, nothing moves the needle more than Twitter videos, right? So we saw Antonio <laughs> Brown catching passes from Russell Wilson. Like Charlie Brown with the football, I fell for the one last year with Cam Newton and Curtis Samuel. I mean, that, that didn't work out for either one. So I'm sure we'll see him again catching passes. All we need to see is Antonio Brown catching passes from like Aaron Rodgers. And I think Twitter <laughs> would break, right? I mean, that's what would happen. It would. My next question, Pat, why did Cam Newton stay available for so long? You know, Mike Tagliere came on. He mentioned that he felt as a Bears fan that Chicago GM Ryan Pace felt that his job was tied to Mitch Trubisky. So he wanted to bring someone in, but not someone who's going to beat out Trubisky, someone who Trubisky actually has a shot to beat out in Nick Foles. That could be true, but of course, Oakland ended up giving a huge contract to Marcus Mariota. Both of those teams would rather have Cam Newton. Is this because GMs are just so risk adverse? What happened with Cam there? Basically, I think Cam got coronavirus. Um, we're coming off the list, Frank. Uh, that's concern. But coming off the shoulder, really, in 2018, I think was probably still the bigger concern. And teams, you know, the Patriots signed him without doing an in-person physical. But, you know, they signed him for no money, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I just think teams probably were not comfortable. He got released, you know, like a few days into free agency, like, right as the pandemic was like exploding. And I just think teams were not comfortable signing Cam Newton without being able to have their own doctors check him out. And uh, it's kind of the Patriots, you know, it's a typical Patriots fashion kind of like lucked into this amazing thing where Cam at this point, you know, had no leverage. So he had to slash his asking price and it was worth the risk for them to sign him, even if they couldn't examine him immediately, just because, you know, where's the risk in that, that salary? I mean, he's guaranteed under a million dollars. It could really escalate of course but that, that would be good for the Patriots because I mean Cam played super well and really I think I mean it's difficult you could say maybe it's risk aversion I'm sure there was some of that but I think Cam just really got unfortunate on un, was unfortunate timing with uh, the coronavirus and that this team's kind of understandably did not want to sign him if they could not examine him first question here about two wide receivers that look to get a lot of target volume DJ Moore or Adam Thielen for some reason, I feel like the public would go to DJ Moore in this question, but it's hard to find a receiver who had the accomplishments that Thielen did, certainly for the first half of the year a couple of years ago, who looks to have a bigger share of the pie than Adam Thielen out there in Minnesota with Cousins, Justin Jefferson, BC Johnson. I mean, I guess Herb Smith, who I like a lot, but still, who do you like better, DJ Moore or Adam Thielen here? I mean, obviously, I like both, but I, I actually am leading Adam... Adam Thielen for some of the kind of reasons 
you laid it out. You know, it's weird because he was as hot as any receiver could be in the first half of the 2018 season. And then kind of over his past 18 games, I uh, missed some injury in there. So it's not 24 games. Uh, you know, not nearly as productive, you know, was not super durable last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, talk about a, a narrow target tree for Adam Thielen and someone with proven production, proven production with this quarterback. And it's just kind of hard to see how all roads in the Vikings uh, passing attack don't lead, don't lead to Adam Thielen. And I think he's still being underrated this offseason. And DJ Moore, I mean, ascendant player, someone I loved, really loved heading into last year, had a lot of shares of last year, and by no means afraid to draft this year. But to someone with a lot of variables, you know, a new coach, a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback, you know, a new wide receiver in the receiver group and Robbie Anderson and just a lot of variables for an, a, an amazing young player in DJ Moore. And I, I'm totally comfortable drafting DJ Moore as a wide receiver one, but I do ever so slightly prefer uh, Adam Thielen. Just for the variable elimination, I agree with you. Dalvin Cook talks about holding out. Justin Jefferson's going to have the short, you know, getting to know Kirk Cousins and get developing that rapport. Irv Smith, of course, is looking to ascend, but the one constant there is stealing, same coaching staff. I agree. I love DJ Moore. He's fantastic. He helped me last year. I had a, a team, Pat, that was amazing. I had Christian McCaffrey, Lamar Jackson, DJ Moore. Sometimes it's not hard. You know what I mean? But <laughs> yes. yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I'm, I like Thielen a little, a little bit more over Moore. I think they're both great, but the target share with, with Thielen, my goodness, with the Vikings. The narrow target tree, I mean, very easy thing to target. Middle school is a real tough time for kids, right? Thinking about kids and schooling and what's going on now. I was reminiscing with my friends recently about middle school and some of our great memories. We started taking a world language and then we had a field day where we we're stealing uh, the mascots from each other, fun stuff like that. <laughs> I'm curious, what's your best memory about what is usually a tough time for kids the middle school years? Well, this week I was thinking about my middle school memories of fireworks and uh, fireworks <laughs> seem to be kind of a divisive topic on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I'm from the Midwest. Uh, it's extremely common uh, in Missouri, St. Louis area for people to be shooting off fireworks for like a month for the 4th of July. Like, I'm, I'm just used to it. It doesn't bother me. I like them and uh, really, really liked them as a kid. And what shooting off fireworks with my dad, my brother, I mean, all my friends uh, doing, you know, stupid and dangerous things with fireworks with my friends. Um, but kind of, kind of a, you know, a good, a growing experience. And uh, yeah, I was just this week thinking about how much fun I had with fireworks when I was kind of like in my early teens and like, you're like, you know, probably, I was shooting off fireworks probably from very young age, probably age eight or nine, which, you know, it isn't probably recommended, <laughs> but uh, yeah, fireworks, a, a very fond middle school memory for me. I have to tell you, I've asked this question every time. The response of, oh, I was thinking about my middle school fireworks years is, is really a loaded response. <laughs> that was not the typical response that I expected to get. No, I, I, it's weird. I was, the memories aren't hazy, but I was trying to think, what do I enjoy? I mean, I loved playing in 64. Uh, if you want to put a date on when I was in middle school, uh, yeah. really liked playing the N64 in middle school. Um, but yeah, fireworks were what came to mind this week. Well, we're on the East Coast, so I have to get a question here from Sean on the Hudson. He wants to know, where is the best fantasy value on the Jets? Uh, obviously a Jet fan. He wants us to move on from the seeing ghost comment from Sam Darnold, but he's like Crowder, Mims, of course. Bell is going to have the volume. Chris Herndon, where do you think the best value is, Pat, for the Jets this year? He wants the Adam Gay stink to go away. 
You mean not many obvious values there are there? Uh, I mean, I guess maybe they're all values because none of them have super out of control ADPs or anything like that. I just don't know. This is definitely not anyone I'm targeting. I mean, Jamison Crowder is kind of he feels like a value pretty much every year, but something always seems to go kind of like haywire with him. But yep. amongst that group, I mean, it's it seems like he's got an extremely high target floor and Jamison Crowder, probably the person out of that group. I want the most, I mean, Denzel Mims will probably be extremely inconsistent. Uh, Rashad Perriman, you know, I'm interested in, but to me, he's just always best as a role player. I kind of have a hard time seeing Sam Darnold and Adam Gase being like the one, the people who turn Rashad Perriman into more than a role player. So I'm probably just going with that like really high floor target floor with Jamison Crowder and just kind of banking some easy points with him and the rest of the guys Herndon, you know, I understand why people love him and he's definitely getting a second chance, but you know, guy without much of a track record who didn't play really at all last year. Uh, it's not as open and shut upside case. I think as some people believe it is, um, so, yeah, not an offensive targeting for fantasy purposes uh, for obvious reasons, but Jameson Crowder, kind of the person there I like the most in that group. It's just hard to buy into Bell. I mean, he had so much volume last year. Everybody's thinking positive touchdown regression, but there's just something that gives me pause when it comes to the Jets. Uh, until Adam Gase is out of there or we start trusting Bell a little bit more, I agree. You want somebody who you have a low, low ADP, so a high upside for sure. Yes, Time for the uh, redraft lightning round here, Pat. Tell me which player you like better for redraft leagues at their current ADP. So I'm going to use the FFPC best ball ADP, of course, but you can project for seasonal leagues and redraft. What do you think? Two wide receivers to start off. Accomplished guys, very close to each other. T.Y. Hilton right now around wide receiver 26 or Stefan Diggs up at Buffalo there, uh, wide receiver 28. And Steph Diggs is one of my favorite players in the NFL, but... I just have such serious Josh Allen questions and concerns that I mean, T.Y. Hilton, I mean, very rarely in his career has he produced outside the wide receiver two range. Good and point. I just think it's a very safe bet for him to kind of bounce back into at least, you know, that wide receiver, like 18 to 22 range. And, you know, maybe Phillip Rivers' arm is just totally shot, but he's playing in a dome. He's finally playing behind a good offensive line. Wouldn't be surprising to see Phil – I have like his eighth comeback. Are you praising and, uh, Phil Rivers? Is that what you're doing <laughs> yeah. on this podcast? Maybe. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's had success with a lot of players like T.Y. Hilton in his career. So I just think T.Y. It, it's, yeah, it's hard to see how T.Y. Hilton, uh, you know, unless something goes totally crazy, which seems to be happening to Indianapolis a lot lately and happens to Philip Rivers a lot. I think T.Y. Hilton will probably be a wide receiver, too. And it's just harder to say that with Steph Diggs, who is such a special talent, but he's just in such a volatile situation. Next up, two running backs with some questions there on the depth chart. Sony Michelle, RB43, of course, coming off another injury. Tevin Coleman, RB44 in San Francisco. So what do you think about Sony Michelle versus Tevin Coleman? I mean, just, it's just like, has Tevin Coleman ever not bungled an opportunity basically like he is someone like how many times are we going to get lucy with the football uh with tevin coleman so i'm just i'm just kind of fully out there uh which you know always famous last words for a player has like a huge you know finally puts it all together and is amazing but as truly horrific as sony michelle was last year uh, you know, his, his most viable competition early downs is probably Damian Harris, who uh, got like four rookie touches. And again, you know, not a great offseason for like someone like that who's trying to carve out a bigger role. And I just think Sonny Michelle will again get the benefit of the doubt, at least early in the season, and will probably have that role. 
and to at least produce is like an RB three and standard leagues. And uh, I just have basically non-existent expectations for Tevin Coleman. And I just have like RB three, four expectations for Sonny Michelle, at least early in the year. So I, when I'm choosing between, I'm, I'm choosing Sonny Michelle. I've asked this every week. It's the Rotoviz mailbag staple. Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson. We just saw a little more from Noah Fant last year. I mean, TJ Hawkinson is still an on the rise player, uh, you know, physical freak. Um, but we saw it from Noah Fant last year. Uh, as a Mizzou alum, I saw Drew Locke have success with this kind of player. And Albert uh, can never pronounce his last name. I've always just called him Albert O. Okwebunum. Um, Okwebunum, yeah. I think. He said he's had success with a player in Albert O. Who, Albert O is on the Broncos, by the way. Yep. Um, it's, that's bad. I should know, be able to pronounce Albert's last name, but now I'm kind of embarrassed about that. Um, <laughs> well, Peter Overzet for the player profile draft kit did a spelling base. So, I mean, that's what yeah, that would do. be a difficult one. Uh, <laughs> but so Drew Locke, uh, just really good down the field. That's where he's best. And uh, even though it's a much crowd, more crowded like, target situation in Denver this year, uh, I am leaning Noah Fant over TJ Hawkinson. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see TJ Hawkinson kind of crash the tight end one party. Uh, I'm not ranking him that way, but he definitely has that kind of ability. The next one is how far have the greats fallen? Aaron Rodgers, now QB 13, or Baker Mayfield, maybe a post-hype sleeper here at QB 15. Who do you like better in seasonal? This one, I just don't have an answer off the top of my head. And Baker Mayfield was weirdly terrible at play action last year. And now he has the play action maestro, apparently, right. and Kevin Stefanski. Mm-hmm. And hopefully he can unlock him. I guess I'm just going to lean Aaron Rodgers' raw ability. And, you know, they didn't add any weapons for Aaron Rodgers, but maybe we'll get, like, God mode angry Aaron Rodgers. I mean, not a good fantasy, uh, like, not a logical way to approach this, really. But. I guess I'll just still lean on Aaron Rodgers, who I think is still a good player and probably going to have the world's biggest chip on his shoulder this season and just not really knowing what to expect from Baker Mayfield still. And this last one came across my timeline. I thought it was interesting. The young upstart wide receiver, Darius Slayton, wide receiver 44, or old man River there, now going to New Orleans, Emmanuel Sanders at wide receiver 44. So Slayton at wide receiver 42 or Sanders at wide receiver 44. I'm going Slayton all day. You know, I've seen a lot of people kind of totally fading Darius Slayton and kind of writing off his rookie production as like something that, you know, only when everyone else was hurt. But, you know, the fact that like a day three receiver could just come in and do that. And like anytime a rookie's like pre-draft, like attributes kind of like immediately translate. Like I always take notice of that. And the fact that Darius Slayton kind of immediately came came in and like played up to his pre-draft billing, uh, I was really intrigued by and you know, like a big play threat they just really need at receiver. And Emmanuel Sanders, you know, still has clearly got something still left in the tank, but, you know, he was hurt. Uh, you know, amazing, came back amazingly quickly from the torn Achilles, but then was kind of played banged up all year last year. And we've seen the Saints, you know, not really make do, like make hay with that second receiver in their offense uh, the past few years. So I just would just rather bet on the young big play, big play stud and Darius Slayton than Emmanuel Sanders. Give me this year's 
rookie running back or wide receiver guy who's late, you know, sort of mid to late guy that you think can make an impact here? I feel like there's always a rookie who comes along second half of the season, whether wide receiver or running back because of injury, who all of a sudden can really make a difference. And you look at those waiver wires and you're just happy that you have the claim the week that they they pop so you can grab them there. Is there a rookie running back or wide receiver you think can make a huge impact here sort of second half of the year in the fantasy landscape? From when I studied this, I was for some reason not thinking in the second half. The first name that came to mind to me was Keyshawn Vaughn, which mm-hmm. is probably more of an early season answer. But I just think Ronald Jones is main. I do not think Tom Brady will put up with Ronald Jones's like pass protection liabilities, mm-hmm. uh, and that Keyshawn Vaughn probably is the guy there of the second half of the season. Maybe someone Devin Duvernay. Yeah. How do, how, what's what, have we said on the pronunciation? Devin Duvernay. Duvernay yep. Devin Duvernay. Duvernay. Yep. That makes a lot more sense. Um, to someone talk about very little competition and that Ravens receiver core, and someone who aligns really well. Uh, with Lamar Jackson's skill set and could be someone maybe again kind of could get off to a slow start after the the truncated offseason and probably non-existent preseason but as someone who fits the Ravens offense like like super well on paper and maybe kind of after he gets his NFL sea legs underneath them uh, becomes a factor in the second half of the season. A person who's as funny and witty as you are do you have a favorite sitcom or two of all time that you go to (laughs) what are your go-to sitcoms here? I did growing up. Uh, I've kind of. I feel like I've realized maybe I've given up on sitcom. I, I maybe just like the world has given up on sitcoms. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, no, nothing. Nothing really unique here. In my answer I mean, Seinfeld, a uh, very obvious one, yeah. and uh, uh, definitely a, an early uh, a '90s Simpsons truther. Probably still like the funniest show of all time. Like the first eight or nine seasons of The Simpsons. Uh, you know, this century. Uh, Arrested Development was my absolute favorite. Yep. Um, maybe not the Netflix Arrested Development, but uh, the three over-the-air seasons, Arrested Development, essentially perfect. And then, you know, 30 Rock to me was kind of like the live-action Simpsons were like, just like never missed an opportunity for a joke. And I definitely, uh, among uh, an NBC employee, uh, you know, a lot of NBC employees might say the office or parks and rec, but I will go with 30 rock. Um, just an amazingly funny show. I've grown a greater appreciation for Al Bundy and married with children because I do feel sometimes <laughs> I do sit on the couch like him, just stare straight ahead and watch the chaos ensue around me without turning my head. <laughs> I, I, I used to think that was funny. Now I feel like it was real. Like it was real. So it is real. Yeah. I mean, I've the ability to tune out two screaming children uh, that I have acquired. <laughs> yes, you can see how maybe that wasn't uh, so un- unreal after all. You came on in early November last year. You nailed the MVP prediction. You said it's going to be Lamar. He was heating up, and you certainly went with that. And then you talked about Aaron Jones, who you were on in the preseason last year as well. And, of course, that paid off big time. I'm just curious here. I, I know that we're due for regression with Lamar Jackson to a certain extent and Aaron Jones. But he, Aaron Jones especially, was so efficient last year, you could cut his TDs in half, Pat, and he probably still in PPR formats is going to be an RB1. So even though both of these players are up for negative regression, where do you think they're going to be this year, Aaron Jones and Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with Aaron Jones. And so the two most important points with Aaron Jones is like there's already regression baked into Aaron Jones' ADP. I mean, he's going as like the RB9 or 10. People aren't like – 
drafting him as like the RB three or four, you know, so people are wisely baking in regression. And, but yeah, that is the point that everyone, I feel like a lot of people are just ignoring where even if Aaron Jones has scored literally like 10 fewer touchdowns last year, he still would have been an RB one. Right. And he's just a special talent. He's a special running back talent. And it's weird, you know, with the AJ Dillon selection, but I mean, the past two years, I mean, Aaron Jones has kind of made a living off this like rendering committees obsolete because he's that good and he just takes control every single time. And to me, RB nine or ten is totally fair for someone who just put that season on film and can make this huge plays as both a runner and a receiver. You know, an offense that is going to be run focused and no one's debating. He's still clearly the lead back. It's not like people are de- saying, thinking Jamal Williams is going to become the lead back or rookie AJ Dillon's going to become the lead back. So he's the lead back of a run focused offense uh, who just had 19 touchdowns. And even if he scores only quote unquote nine or 10, I mean, that's still an RB one profile on paper to me. He's the clear best receiving back on the roster. And I don't see how someone who had that many touchdowns is going to be taken out at the goal line. If he falters to get injured, sure. But I think Aaron Jones right now, like you said, the regression is baked in. He's still a value. Give me eight touchdowns with Aaron Jones. Pat, I'll sign for right now. Exactly. And Lamar Jackson, I mean, I mean, pretty much, I guess, the one rule of, like, that kind of touchdown season is that it will regress. But, I mean, Lamar Jackson barely had 3,000 yards passing last year. So, talk about an easy uh, – I mean, if he just gets 500 more passing yards, so about an easy way to maybe offset a little bit of that. And we just know, like, with such a special rushing talent at quarterback, uh, even if the touchdowns regret. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to draft Lamar Jackson at, like, week six or seven – you know, be like acutely aware of like any quote unquote like regression. I mean, he's still going to feel like Lamar Jackson and be one of like the, the engines of your team. So yeah, I'm not, not super worried about Lamar Jackson regression either. I'm begging you to say Philip Rivers for this next question. I want to know who you're a truther for. You praised him. I feel like we've turned a new leaf here. Maybe COVID has caused you to reflect on your love for Philip Rivers. Who are you a truther for, Pat, this year that you still hang on? Evan said Rex Burkhead. I can't get off of D.D. Westberg, although I should. Ryan McDowell, of course, with Randall Cobb. Who are you a truther for here this year? I don't know who like I'm the lost cause truther for like someone I've always been a truther for, but I've been beginning to feel like a David Johnson truther. Yes, because uh, I mean, talk about again action speaking louder than words. Uh, what the Texans surrendered for David Johnson, they didn't do that to you know have him be like a one A back. They did that for him to be like a true every down back. And we know Duke Johnson is one of the best pass catching backs in the NFL. But I mean, David Johnson, when he's right, is a better pass catching back than Duke Johnson even. And you don't give up DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson and then, you know, like have the kid gloves on with him. Like they're going to run David Johnson into the ground as a three down back. And even last year before his back acted up, he was still a pretty solid fantasy back for the Cardinals for the first six or seven games of the season. So it's not like he like disappeared off the face of the earth. He clearly did not look the same last year. Uh, There's no... You can't like question that, but yeah, I mean, when you give up DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson, you are going to feature David Johnson. You know, sometimes barely going as like an RB two. It's like it's just crazy. He's probably going to be like in that RB fourteen to eighteen range. 
And listen, the, the first few games of last year, he was dynamite. And I still think people just see that sweep against Tampa Bay that took 20 minutes. But David Johnson, <laughs> especially if you're a zero RB guy, David Johnson is somebody you absolutely should be looking at there. I, I agree with the volume with Deshaun Watson. If he's healthy and he, and he certainly the first half of the year, he seemed fine. He has huge upside, right? In that Texans offense. Yeah. Would you rather zero RB with David Johnson or David Montgomery? Yeah, of course. I right. think I'm doing, yeah, I'm going David Johnson. The guy who had the massive RB1 season, of course, no doubt. Uh, Pat, great job as always, man. We could talk for, for hours. Last question, then I'll get you out of here. I want the bold prediction. I want to be sitting here at Thanksgiving, celebrating that we look like we're going to have the whole season, having my turkey and going, you know what? Patrick Doherty nailed it. What's your bold prediction for 2020 here? I'm just horrible at bold predictions. And I spent a few minutes trying to think of like what my bold uh, prediction would be. And I just frankly don't have one. And my only bold prediction would maybe be that you, that your bold prediction, not you, like the general your bold prediction about Josh Allen will be wrong. And uh, that's one of the things I'm all in on is just Josh Allen is too – does not good of a player to fulfill fulfill the Josh Allen prophecies and is going to let down so many people this year. And so basically I've become so fixated on Josh Allen, uh, like my negative bold prediction of Josh Allen that I can't formulate any positive bold predictions. And then uh, I'm, I'm all the way out on Josh Allen. That's fair. I just think he can hold it together. I'm buying into Sean McDermott. I'm buying into Buffalo. He has the weapons. I agree. It's very shaky. It could go off the rails at any moment here, but I I guess I'm tantalized by the weapons and the rushing upside. I feel like he's the cheapest Konami code quarterback that's out there by ADP. Maybe him or Daniel Jones, I guess, but Jones has a rough start to the year, but that that's what it is. But you're right. Josh Allen, one of the most polarizing fantasy players on social media. He is, then, you know, I'm going to have to obviously retire uh, when he's winning people fantasy leagues uh, <laughs> because I've become a little fixated on the subject. Uh, yeah, I will be retiring in November when it's clear that he is going to be uh, ho- ho- hoisting trophies for people and I'll have no comeback. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going down with the ship at this point. That was one of the fastest podcasts I've done this year. Folks, Patrick Darty, NFL writer, Roto World, NBC Sports at Rotopat. Follow him, click it, and just enjoy. My friend, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Some great conversation here, and fingers crossed for a full and enjoyable NFL season. Yes. uh, Every finger in the United States crossed for that, and uh, always my pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at randallrant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. As he takes everybody on, Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. 
the teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars, and that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal, soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire.